sorry, the uh, mic's not wor working. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the launch of Kafka's Motorbike, the greatest book of our time. Obviously, except for your books, Mr. Rushdie, which are also very good. And Lord Archer, yours aren't bad either. <clears throat> anyway, uh, what I mean is uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming to the launch of one of the top 30 books of our time, anyway. At least. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined by Lewis Ride to discuss Renee Zellweger's Oscar-nominated performance in the 2001 film Bridget Jones's Diary. Lewis, good to have you on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, so tell me a little bit about why you picked uh, this movie here to be your first episode. Um, I mean, there was there was a fair few reasons. It was, um, I mean, of the options that, that were there, right, it was either this or Love Field. And, like, Bridget Jones just speaks to me more. It's like, I feel like a little bit gatekeeperish when it comes to Bridget Jones as a, for someone from England. Like, I don't really know how to explain it. I'm not, like, a terrible gatekeeper in that sense, but I just wanted yeah. to be like, it's mine, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, I just wanted to kind of claim it. And I love Renee Zellweger. I think she's incredible in it. And I think the film is great. I think the year as a whole is really interesting. Um, 2001, I mean, the 2001 film, 2002 Oscars are just an incredible um, kind of amalgamation of all sorts of different things that are really emblematic of what the world was at that time. Yeah, it's it's just a really interesting year and to kind of look at that in in terms of in, look at that through the lens of Bridget Jones and Renee Zellweger just is really interesting to me yeah for like there's a lot of placing this movie in time that I feel like we're going to like the cultural sort of reaction to some certain things about this movie and about this performance mm -hmm. and about what Renee uh did to prepare for the performance I, I feel like we're going to have a lot of uh, uh, retrospective stuff to look back on of like, oh, it's wild that this was the case. I feel like, you know, you probably know what I'm talking about here, but uh, we're yeah. going to we're going to have a lot to dissect. Uh, yeah, this is my third time, I think, talking about 2001, uh, talking about this year's Oscars. I've done Sexy Beast and then uh, like last month or the month before I did uh, I Am Sam. So, oh, yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah, but like even just those three movies, it's a weird little little set of of, you know, I mean, all the movies that I talk about on this show are an interesting, peculiar case. But like that, that's a weird dribble feature. I think those are the only mm -hmm. three from this year, unless I'm forgetting something. I don't think there are any other ones. I think it's just those three. Lead it's, actress, but it's, yes. It's, yeah. But which I mean, because I, this week I've spent I've, I've like watched every film just from this category right and um, the last couple of days and i've just found it really bizarre that like bridget jones's diary is the one that's only one nomination whereas yeah like, something like monster's ball which... monster's ball getting that we'll we'll talk about monsters yeah ball. i watched it for the first time this morning 
Um, uh, okay, we'll get into yeah. We'll get into <laughs> Monsters Ball. Yeah, this was oh, yeah. also my first time watching this. Uh, this is just one of those movies that really, yeah, just like culturally, I like I was aware of it, but I, I just never caught up to it. And then at a certain point, you know, once I start doing this show, I'm like, oh well, I'll just save it for when I do the episode. And so mm-hmm. here we are talking about Bridget Jones's Diary from 2001, directed by Sharon McGuire, one of the rare. Uh, Oscar-nominated performance from a film directed by a woman, which is, you always love to see that. Another one being I Am Sam, actually, uh, uh, speaking of. Well, at least I Am Sam has that. It's... Yes, at least it has, yeah. Uh, written by Richard Curtis, Andrew Davies, and Helen Fielding, based on Fielding's own novel from 1996. Uh, it stars Renee Zellweger, Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, Jim Broadbent, uh, Gemma Jones, Celia Imry, uh, James Faulkner, Shirley Henderson, and Beth Davids. Uh, James Callis, Salman Rushdie shows up for a, a brief little cameo. There are a few other people that I, I didn't write, but you know, it's an expansive cast, but you know, you got your main your main leads there. Uh, premiered in the UK on April 4th, 2001, and then opened generally on April 13th, uh, made like $282 million worldwide. It's like the 14th highest grossing movie of the year worldwide, uh, which surprisingly, I was looking this up, I did not realize how well A Beautiful Mind did at the global box office. That was the 12th highest grossing movie of 2001. Which is just, I mean, like, 2001 is an interesting year in and of itself. But I guess, like, you have Russell Crowe coming off of um, Gladiator. You've got, um, I've, oh, no, I was going, you have Ridley Scott, who also, no, not Ridley Scott, but I mean, um, Ron Howard. Ron Howard, that's it. I was coming off of The Grinch. Yeah, you're coming off of The Grinch, which, I mean, love it or hate it, The Grinch is here to stay. It made a lot of money. Yeah, made a, made a lot of money. And it's, you know, I think A Beautiful Mind isn't incredible. I don't know that it's aged incredibly well, but... Yeah, it, it's an it, interesting case. It, it, it looms large over this whole year. Obviously, you know, as the best picture winner and everything. Yeah. But, like, it's just an interesting year. Just, like, looking at this top 15... Uh, we don't have to get too much into it, but uh, worldwide box office top fifteen. So you know, so we can get to Bridget Jones at fourteen. Uh, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Monsters Inc., Shrek, Ocean's Eleven, Pearl Harbor, oh, God. The Mummy Returns, Jurassic Park Three, the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes remake, Hannibal, Rush Hour Two, A Beautiful Mind, American Pie Two, Bridget Jones's Diary, and Spirited Away. What a what a wild set of fifteen movies you got. That is. I mean, you know, you look back and I mean, there's some there's some questionable choices in there, but you look back at that now and it's like, oh, what an original year. How yeah. incredible. There's like, what, four sequels that I read? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's, you know, we love to see that. Yeah. Spirited Away <laughs> making the top 15. A beautiful, yeah. a, if A Beautiful Mind came out today, it would like, if not go straight to Apple Plus or whatever, it yeah. would... It's, it would be a bomb. Beautiful mind is so Apple TV coded. It is very much so. Like, yeah, it's not. It's not a Netflix. That's an Apple TV. That 100%. is hundred percent. And I think, funnily enough, I still think there's like a world in which a beautiful mind does really well. Like yeah. in this, if it came out in twenty twenty three, I think there's a world in which that does happen. Um, but I don't think it wins what it wins. Yeah. Um... In twenty twenty three. Yeah, this is an interesting retrospective year specifically of like how, yeah. how not how poorly some of the wins have aged, but just how peculiarly some of the wins have aged. And we'll talk about it. But before we get into like the Oscar stuff proper, let's talk about Renee Zellweger here as our titular Bridget Jones. 
doing an accent, doing an accent that holds up. It, it is. I mean, you know, I have quite a. I'm from a part in the UK that is quite country. We'll say like mine. I'm not. I don't have a particularly posh accent, but I don't have a particularly rough accent either. Um, so listening to her accent, you can tell that she did the work. Like just the entire way through, there are a couple of words that she says, like I hear, and I go, "Oh, that's." She couldn't quite work out that one out, but I mean, I've got. <laughs> I wrote them down. So the first one is knobhead. She goes knobhead, which I'm like, that's not how English people say that. I'm afraid. And the second one is vodka. She goes vodka, not vodka. Like we say it with like a downwards, not an upwards. Um, but I just think for the rest of it, it's just. It's completely pitch perfect the entire time. It's it's quite incredible. Yeah, which had been like the big drawback that a lot of people had when the casting was announced because yeah. you know this was a huge book. I, I feel like I don't really have to preface that this book was massive uh, in its time, and this the first sequel had already come out, right? Yes, the, the, the Edge of Reason is like ninety nine or something. Yeah, so the, the first the Edge of Reason is ninety nine, but then there was no. I don't think there was any Bridget Jones like books until Bridget Jones's baby came out or a couple of years. Oh no, it was 2013 because it was mad about the boy. Right. Um, yeah, I didn't look as much. Um, I didn't look as much into like the the backstory of the books or or like you know the the character as she existed in the column that was put out before yeah. it got turned into the book. Um, I didn't read too much beyond just like the the basic sort of uh, facts there, but seems like like it's always interesting, you know that. You know, she didn't originate as a character from a book. She was just like published as a column as if she was a regular actual person, which is yeah, a fascinating it, little tidbit there. Yeah, it's like the real life Carrie Bradshaw effect of just like, here's this, here's just these writings of mine from Helen Fielding in, I can't think of which, if it was a newspaper or magazine. I think, or whatever. I, I, think I read newspaper. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you know that. I'm from the country and I don't know. So. I, I'm just going off what I skimmed on Wikipedia like two hours ago. So I don't know. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, so like this was a character that had uh, enmeshed herself in the culture, especially in British culture by the time yeah. this movie is announced that it's happening. And by the time Renee Zellweger, who like has a career, but she's not like a star necessarily. Yeah. What I was reading, like the, a lot of publications and a lot of just people in general were like who is this unknown woman from texas who does she think she is coming in to take this role uh and then you know they see the movie and everyone's like oh no never mind sorry kind of like a like a michael keaton batman thing of like who is this this comic and then the movie comes out and everyone eats their words because you know, she's yeah. great she's she's she's, she's perfect for the role I, th- I just find it really interesting that there was there's a time not really that long ago where Renee Zellweger is an unknown and yeah. she's just quantified as that because the rise to success is so like you know you can just see it happen in real time if you go back and look at it it's like you can track it by her Oscar nominations exactly. you can track the 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 like kind of one two like one two three four punch almost of like Nurse Betty almost getting yeah. there and then Bridget Jones Chicago and Cold Mountain all four years in a row consecutively and then don't forget shark tale in 2004 that's like of course of course and then to bring it back to ron howard 
Cinderella Man 2005 and you're already on the outs and this is a, such a quick rise and we'll talk about Judy. We will we'll get yeah. into it. We'll the, yeah. But yeah, the, the the vocal performance, especially because so much of this movie is not just her, you know, talking and interacting and dialogue, but she's narrating so much of it to yeah. like tie back into the the diary of it all and like you have to get the voice right for whoever you're casting here and other than like those moments that you mentioned where you picked up on oh just a little bit of faltering there like it really doesn't slip and in in the hands of a lesser actress it might slip more often or it might seem just more like a like a put on but to the point that like there was some trivia bit i don't know how true this is or if it's just an anecdote he was telling but like some point Hugh Grant said that in, in some interview or something that like she you know she never broke the whole time on set she was always using the accent and then once filming wrapped he heard her speaking in some weird dialogue and then found out after the fact that that was her actual accent uh, and like had no yeah. idea and i don't know how much that's true or if it's just a thing he was saying but it's a fun story though i just think you know yeah. if, if i i choose to believe it cuz i feel like if you can you know convince Hugh Grant, who is like the most English person to ever English person. Exactly. You know, then that's quite an achievement. It really is. And, and it works. She's so funny in this. This is, this is a great comedic performance in, in a way that you don't really see these get Oscar nominated. And like rom-coms kind of have it a bit more than just like your flat out comedy where you have like pretty woman, and something's got to give to other movies I've covered on this show because rom-coms <laughs> don't get the respect as much across the board. But yeah, just, this is a really... The com- the self-effacingness of this character, not everyone, especially not someone who's a star at this point, is going to commit to so well, nearly as well as Renee does here. It- it's It's a great self-effacing performance that yeah, definitely. This is very the easy option for her would have been to kind of like completely half-ass it and have it be just this like, like have a bad accent because she couldn't be bothered to put the work in to actually figure out how English people speak or to understand what Bridget Jones as a character actually means, meant to women and anybody, you know, not just necessarily women, but anybody at that time um, is, is just a real show of that performance. And she is incredible in in it. And so Bridget Jones is is like a real is is really emblematic of um, UK cringe comedy. It's I know like cringe is going to be like a big thing in comedy anywhere, but in the UK, like t comedy TV sitcoms in the UK, cringe comedy in the late nineties, early two thousands was everywhere. It was yeah. just a big part of it, and you can kind of go back and watch them, and everything's you know so. TV can't TV in the UK now is so self-serious and just like not that great. Um, but at the time, comedy kind of ruled the airways, and that was that was great. And I think Bridget Jones is almost like the t- the the film equivalent, not the TV equivalent, the, the film equivalent of that. And yeah, it's a really interesting. So um, in the UK, we had a TV show called Miranda, which was um, had uh, Miranda Hart, who was in Spy with Melissa McCarthy. Um, is kind of the only like English people know who Miranda Hart is. We all love her. She's like a national treasure to us. Um, and then nobody else has ever heard of her. <laughs> so um, the, like the Bridget Jones to Miranda pipeline is so obvious to like an English person that's seen both. Um, 
And it's so there's there's a woman in Bridget Jones and in Miranda called Sally Phillips, and she plays Shazza in Bridget Jones. She's the right. friend who right. always says fuck. Um, and that's just like it, it's just really fun to go back and watch because Mar- Bridget Jones has the same sort of quality as all of that cringe comedy, but on a much bigger scale. So you're able to do more, and it's not just one room setting with somebody falling over a stool or doing you know kind of slapstick comedy there's genuine heart to it and there's genuine substance to it which is why i love renee so much in it because there is genuine substance there yeah like from the very start like the opening credits where she's you know sitting on her bed and crying and lip syncing along to all by myself it's hilarious but in a way that is like pathetic but in a way that you're like oh i i feel seen no matter who you are she's so relatable in a way relatable about how pathetic she is and about how much she puts her foot in her mouth of you know shouting to the the uh audience at the book uh uh event because she didn't know how to turn on the mic and showing up to the party in the bunny suit because she didn't get the message that they were dropping the the like vicars and harlots theme for the party or whatever they were calling it Uh, and just all these like situational exactly like cringy moments where you are put in her shoes and you need someone to be relatable like renee zellweger putting herself out there and showing her whole ass not like no pun intended because she does also in this movie uh but i was just like yeah well i'm gonna do it i'm gonna fully commit to it and if i don't it's gonna seem tacky and fake and she really does commit to it in a way that makes you like Oh, I I feel so bad for her because I know I like I am not uh infallible. I could easily fall into a same situation like that. And it's real like props to Renee for going all in on some of the more cringy moments of the character. Yeah. Because otherwise it just doesn't work as a movie. Otherwise it doesn't feel real. And and yeah. that's what that's the charm of the character is that she does feel so real and normal unlike unlike for example julia roberts in pretty woman who is like presented as like oh she's this normal girl she's this sex worker but she's you know she looks like julia roberts yeah she's she's so charming and pretty and like down to earth in a way that feels like oh that's kind of an unattainable like you know renee zellweger is you know eating out of a like spooning cereal right out of the box and has this messy apartment and doesn't wear, you know, stylish clothes. And it's incredibly relatable in a way that is just fun to watch for like at the end of the day. I think Renee is always, she's always had this kind of like girl next door persona in a lot of ways. She is like, obviously stunningly gorgeous, but also there's this real, like she would just invite you around for a drink because she's just moved in next door and oh, here's a, here's a bag of sugar if you need to borrow it like yeah she's just she's just fun to watch and she is relatable and she just feels like your friend yeah she has such a genuine laugh that like like that's not something that a lot of actors uh that we talk about about a lot of actors uh very often is you know the quality of a good laugh to make you relatable but her laugh is is so just charming and feels real, feels genuine, feels like she's having a good time, which for a movie like this, you want your lead to be having a good time. 
throughout yeah. the flirtations and the the dips and and you know heights and everything that she's going through you just want you you don't want her to be miserable you don't want her to feel like she's feeling internally like she's above all this and she doesn't she doesn't come across that way at all and it's it's really just you know captivating to watch her no matter what situation she's in like you know height, heights or falls or whatever it, it, it's just all it's it's a fun mo- I feel like I, I'm not breaking any new ground saying Bridget Jones's diary is a fun movie to watch but like <laughs> it, it, it's, it's all yeah. I mean <laughs> it's fun to watch yeah it's fun um, to yeah. watch but it is. Have- I think if there's one thing that can be said of it, it's fun to watch. And the things that are the most fun to watch, you can always tell the people who made it had fun making it. Yeah. And they clearly had fun making it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, we should probably talk about the... This is going to... I don't want to say elephant in the room about what we're about to talk about. Because, okay. you know, that seems gross. But a lot also of what people at the time were, quote-unquote, commending her for is how much weight she put on. She like gained yes. 25 pounds. She's so skinny in this movie. And like that's yeah. not that's not necessarily the fault of the movie. That's the fault of the culture of 2001 where this is what was considered plus sized. You when you have like Kate Moss uh, and and the heroine chic and everything of the late 90s early 2000s like Yeah. I this comes up a lot like on Twitter or whatever, of people sharing screen caps of Renee in this and being like, can you believe this character was considered fat in 2001? And like, yeah, I kind of can, because look at the other culture of 2001 comparatively. And like, this is gross, but comparatively, this was about as much like, quote unquote, overweightness as Hollywood or just culture in general was willing to accept on a leading actress which is wild it's crazy and you know this is like for this to be considered almost like a you know like a glamming down role for Renee it's like she's still stunning in it like gorgeous there's like you know glamming yourself down in the way of like Halle Berry this year as much as you can when you look like Halle Berry yeah and like you know Nicole Kidman the following year and Charlie's there in the year after. All of these people who have all who have all done this, and everything's been said time and time again about these people. And I think like Charlie's there and Renee Zellweger really stick out as two really obvious kind of sticking points in terms of this. Like, oh my god, they had to put weight on for the role. They had to do this. They had to do this. They had to do this. It's like actually, they just look like a normal person. And I think that that's just in and of itself, you know, not to get kind of too deep into this, but it is a dangerous thing to yeah. For anybody to hear that, it's she starts this film. She writes that she's 136 pounds, which in the UK the the the, the normal size is a size 12. It's the average size of a woman in the UK. If you were 136 pounds, you'd be like a size 10, possibly. Yeah. It's just like that's just not. It's just not right. It's like you know, obviously, it's incredible that she was that committed to the role because Renee is naturally very thin. She's sort of very athletic not athletic build, but she was a cheerleader yeah. um, in high school. And she was always very, very fit. And and um, obviously to be able to go from like what she looked like in Bridget Jones's diary to what she looked like in Chicago the following year is really, is quite a remarkable thing. If that's even, you know. Yeah. I mean, in the same, like not that. in the same way, cause it's not to the same extreme, but like in the same way that everyone praises Christian Bale for like, Oh, he lost all that weight for the machinist. And then the next yeah. year is, you know, Batman begins where he's all bulked up and everything. 
and just the the constant back and forth that he i don't think i think he's like said that he's you know stopped doing that now because he's almost 50 and has kids and wants to live to see them grow up i think his advice was the last thing that he did that for wasn't it yeah yeah the Oscar campaign Uh, didn't entirely work and he gave that up (laughs) yeah that's that's the case you know they they finally uh, uh negative reinforcemented him into you know caring for his body but yeah. like yeah it's it's a gross sort of because you know you had people commending Renee for this ma- huge weight gain or whatever you want to call it at the time but then you also had people like oh well she looks gross and unfuckable and she's yeah. like it, it's such a we- a gross terrible misogynistic double standard that I, I I would like to say we've gotten better at, but we really haven't. We've just changed the the goalposts. Uh, but yeah, we don't have to spend too much time on this downer of a note on this. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it's just important to mention. Yes, isn't it? absolutely. Like it, it's it's one of those things that we we would be remiss to not mention that that was also a factor in how some people treated this performance as a quote unquote deglam. But uh, yeah. Separate from that, I I think she has she's really good at having good bad chemistry with both of her uh, uh, romantic partners in this, like in a way yeah. where she's supposed to be a bad flirt that knows she's a bad flirt, but is still you know going at it. the the whole email like p- uh, like HR uh, harassment flirting that she does with Hugh Grant yeah. is so charming, and it's just like voiceover and everything, but she's so like. You can tell how giddy she is about her own dorky little like, oh well, yeah. maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't have left my skirt at home and all this. It's just like you know, this is dorky stuff, but she effectively conveys that level of like how stupid we all get when we're in that like you know butterflies in our stomach flirty stage of like you say stupid stuff because you think it sounds charming, and she does a really good job of delivering the voiceover of those lines uh, as like a I don't know if this is gonna work but I'm gonna put on my sexy voice and we'll see if this message and then it does and it's it's great she has it's, it's really fun just like flirty chemistry for a character that is supposed to be bad at flirting yeah it's I mean like cringy and dorky flirting is like the universal language there's no everybody understands like they hear exactly it's like I, I love the just them them referring to Bridget's skirt as if it were a person. Yes, and that's just incredible, and I think that that's just so charming in and of itself. But I was thinking I'd is... take your skirt out for dinner, and maybe you'd like to come along and join us. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder how much of that Hugh Grant just was like, that's just him, and yeah, that happens to be rolling at the time. But... <laughs> I mean, you never know. Yeah, that said, Hugh Grant perfectly cast in this. Absolutely, like it. Incredible. It is. Ta- we'll get into. It. I, I. I have a lot to say about both of the the male leads of this, but he's so fun and charming and gross. Yeah, like he's a great. He's great at both. Gross, but in the best possible way. Exactly, a Hugh Grant type, as we'll say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then all of her stuff with Colin Firth, the like awkwardness of we're both kind of not sure if we like each other or detest each other and every time we uh we meet in whatever social interaction we're in it's just a lot of silent like what's the vibe here are are we on good terms or do i want to scratch your eyes out 
And then that eventually coalescing into like, oh, well, actually, I think we like each other. And I don't like neither of them really know what to do with that at first when they both realize, oh, shit. I accidentally kind of started liking you after hating you for all this time. And they both do a really good job of like handling how poorly they handle it for so long. The prolonged like inaction from both of them uh, is really fun. You know, you get that in a lot of this type of love triangle uh, rom-com stuff, but she does a really good job with those scenes of just being so out of her element with, an actual connection that she's refusing to uh, to heed the call on. It's it's, it's good stuff. It's, it's a good, entirely separate dynamic from what she has with Grant that, uh, you know, without it, this movie is significantly less interesting without the yeah. two wildly different dynamics. Yeah, definitely. I think it wouldn't work if she was only, like, romantically involved with one of the two. It just... I mean, it, it just wouldn't, the romantic side of it just wouldn't be interesting. And then for, obviously, for, for Firth and Grant to have this confrontation themselves and for them to hate each other and for them to have this backstory just deepens that. So I, I just find that part of it really interesting. And it's, it, it's it, again, it's just fun to watch. It's just fun to watch it all play out. And it's fun to find out that Hugh Grant is actually this arsehole throughout the entirety of the film. And he's been lying to Bridget and he's been cheating on her and, doing all of these things and that Colin Firth who we've been led to believe is the arsehole is actually right for her and they're in, they fall in love and yeah he's the soft boy nice. he's the quiet soft boy it's, yeah. it's great uh, and it's, it's always the quiet one absolutely and it doesn't hurt that he looks like Colin Firth exactly yeah everyone in this movie is so beautiful um uh, some, oh, something else that uh, I don't remember what it was specifically that you said just then that uh, made me want to bring this up, but she has such good reaction faces all throughout this movie. Um, the one in the elevator after she's been flirting with Hugh Grant, but like nothing's happened. And then he like grabs her butt while there's another guy in the elevator. There's like the look on her face of like, oh, well, this is happening now. Um, the, there's a scene, I think it's at the party where she's in the bunny suit where She's talking to Jim Broadbent, her dad, about the the guy that uh, her mom is now off with. And he says, I don't remember what it is he says, but I do remember that I took note of her reaction just because she has such an expressive face for all of the little like quirks and ticks of Bridget and her like, yeah, what like she doesn't have a poker face at any point. All of the times where she speaks up and realizes she's spoken up and now everyone's paying attention to her and she has to talk her way out of whatever stupid thing she said, she has such a terrible poker face and it's so fun and funny and it's it's just a great comedic performance yeah. on and every I, I level. The, the kind of, the facial reactions is almost quite an inherently British thing as well because British people, we're not so good at talking about our emotions, but we'll show you. Yeah. So, like, you know, if, if somebody's really excited and or someone's really sad, and you can tell, you can see it on an English person's face before they will tell you. Um, and I like that's just another thing. It's just the cultural things that Renee picks up on, whether they were in the script or whether they were she learned that from the dialect coach or just the director or whatever it was. It's just incredible she was able to learn that in just such a short space of time. It, yeah. Like, Again, I just can't say enough about how much I love Renee Zellweger in this film. <laughs> yeah, she's so good. She's like, I, 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 I run into this sometimes when I do comedies 
and comedy performances specifically mm-hmm. on this show of like it's hard it's harder to talk about what makes a good comedic performance than what makes a good dramatic performance because so much of it is just like you know in the body and in the 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 way they carry themselves and the way they deliver you know whether it's a, a physical comedic performance or you know through dialogue or whatever it's yeah. it's just really tough to talk about sometimes and i i don't know if i have all that much more to say about her specifically because she's great and she's great in a lot of different modes and she remains that same level of great throughout the whole thing and it's it's not a, a character that has all that many big dramatic scenes that aren't also played for laughs uh but yeah she's just so charming and fun and deeply relatable all throughout the movie and i yeah. i yeah i don't know one thing about her performance obviously there's the three films i'm, I'm assuming if, the, if this is the first time you've seen this one i'm guessing you haven't seen two and three. i have not uh but yeah they, if you want to speak on this two is not good like it, you can quite happily just kind of skip it it's just not great she ends up in that's a what i've heard it's not it's weird it's not good but renee's great in it because of course yeah um, and then when it comes to Bridget Jones's baby, this was like, that was Renee's big comeback film from 2016. She'd not been in a film in however many years at that point. It I'm just, actually going to look that up while you keep talking. Yeah. So it was, and I, so I just, I just remember that being announced because, um, so I live next to the village um, where they filmed all of the exterior scenes for Bridget's parents' house. So anytime anything Bridget Jones happens, Everybody in that kind of general area hears about it because they're all of a sudden like, oh, do you think Renee Zellweger will be back? <laughs> and it's it's just this really bizarre thing that happens once every decade or so, however many times they've, you know, every time that they've done the, the films. There's talk of them doing a fourth one as well currently. Yeah. Whether that is ahead or not, I don't know, because we haven't seen Renee Zellweger in several years again. Um, but it's they they get progressively worse in quality bridget jones's baby isn't great either but what i will say for that one it was written by emma thompson so you kind of know that you're going into like at least a good time with it you do have that yeah the second one was like a completely different production than creative team so it just it doesn't work in the same way that the first one does but three is at least fun yeah I, I may end up checking out one or two of those who, who knows yeah. um actually because we mentioned it earlier and because i have the filmography up now uh the like yeah the the meteor meteoric meteoric is that the word there yeah, meteoric rise. yeah the meteoric rise and then just like steep sort of like just downfall almost and just going away for so long do you want to just like go through like her whole filmography while we let's do it yeah okay uh so her first perf- her first role the- she has deleted scenes in something called my boyfriend's back uh, which is a zombie movie directed by Bob Balaban. I have <laughs> not heard of this. What? Uh, what a weird film. Yeah, uh, but her scenes got deleted in that. Um, Matthew McConaughey is also in that, apparently, in that same year. And then, also in that same year, they both appear in Dazed and Confused, which is her first film role. I don't remember That's who okay. she is in it. I haven't seen it in a while. don't think it's a very big role. Uh but then there's a lot of stuff in here that I haven't seen, but is, you know, notable. She's in Reality Bites. She's in The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is that also the one that McConaughey... How many movies have yeah. they made together? 
Uh, at least these three. Several. I'm just, I've just got, got a, all of their films as well. Yeah. But Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's quite something. Seems like it. Uh, yeah. She's in Empire Records also. Uh, and then uh, she's the lead in something called The Whole Wide World, where she plays someone that has a Wikipedia page. Uh, uh, Noveline Price Ellis, who... Uh, dated Robert E. Howard, the the guy who created Conan the Barbarian, apparently. Oh, okay. Who knows? But her big role in that same year is in Jerry Maguire, which is where she, you know, breaks through for real. And I always forget that she didn't get an Oscar nomination for that. That's one of the biggest, like, I have to continuously check myself and be like, no, that didn't happen. It feels like it did. It feels like it would have. But it feels like it should have. Yeah, she's great in that. She's, and they loved that movie. And it's the perfect type of role to get a nomination for a movie like that. And yeah, it's just strange that it it didn't happen. But then Uh, there's, I find it interesting that there's this like building momentum for Renee up leading up to Bridget Jones for when she gets that first nomination with the things that kind of came out in succession to that, like carry on with just the filmography. But yeah, she's in one true thing, which I think is the late nineties Meryl movie I get to do. It is the late nineties Meryl movie that you get. It's the cancer one. Yes. Cause I, I, I know it's either that or music of the heart and that one did get a song nomination. So it is this one. Okay. One true thing. Uh, yeah, it is. It's one true thing. Uh, she's in something called the bachelor, uh, which I, it was her and Chris O'Donnell apparently. In 1999, I'm skipping over some things. I don't know why that's the one I decided to to mention uh, out of the the nothing movies. I guess not nothing. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It might be good. Uh, 2000, she's apparently in Me, Myself, and Irene. Oh yeah, no, I was thinking of a different movie. Yeah, yeah she's in Me, Myself, Harry. and Irene. Uh, and Nurse Betty, which she yeah. wins the Golden Globe for for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, doesn't get the Oscar nomination, but is probably reasonably close to that lineup. With yeah, that globe nomination, maybe sixth, seventh, or eighth. Yeah, like her and Bjork, and I don't remember who else. Like maybe Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Uh, but and then this, and then two thousand one, Bridget Jones. Wow, I've, I've we've only been talking about it for the past forty five minutes. Bridget Jones' diary. Yeah, uh, and you know, obviously goes on to this Oscar nomination because we're talking about it. Follows it up with Chicago. Uh, yeah. Also gets an Oscar nomination. Comes very close to winning that Oscar. She have. had to have come second that year. Yeah. Although uh, I feel like like f- one through four in that lineup were probably not that far apart in, in voting spread. Quite possibly. Like, because you have Kidman wins, obviously. Renee's in Chicago, the best picture yeah. winner, uh, which wins also for acting with a bunch across the board. Far From Heaven is like the big critical hit, and Julianne is probably the performance that gets the highest praise over the whole season. Mm. And then there's a huge campaign behind Salma Hayek and Frida. And she's, you know, self-financing a lot of that campaign. That movie ends up winning like two Oscars and wildly overperforming in nominations. And then Diane Lane is also very good and unfaithful. Like I would imagine it wasn't that far of a spread between the first place vote getter and the fourth place Fourth, wow! I'm just talking over myself today. Fourth, fourth, yeah. fourth place vote getter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like 2002 is a great year as well. That's yeah, I mean, that's a lineup. Yeah, it really is. Um, and then obviously 2003, she wins her Oscar for Cold Mountain, uh, in a way that like 
is is so inevitable after three consecutive nominations. Yeah, and, she. I mean, she wins for the wrong film. She, I mean, very both of them. Kind of, I feel like she wins. Yes. I it's, I love Renee. I don't love either of her winning performances. No, the first two are great. You know, if she, if she could have won for Bridget Jones and Chicago, not that she, you know, it's incredibly unlikely she would have won back to back in the league. Yeah. But, you know, if that could have happened compared to the other two wins. Yeah. Then, or even just one over over both of the two. Yeah. Like if she had won for Chicago and then not the other two, I think that would have been a better, you know, case for her legacy as well. Yeah. Uh, but then right after Cold Mountain, just look at the, the next lineup of movies shark tale and bridget jones the edge of reason in the next year cinderella man the movie that failed so hard they put it back in theaters and said if you don't like it we'll get you we'll refund you your ticket uh what happened with that film yeah they put it out in over like the the i don't remember when it opened at first maybe a summer movie and then it did not do well at the box office and then they put it out again that winter for like awards reasons and had that whole campaign and it didn't pay off. I wish I could talk about that on this show. It got one other nomination. It got like an editing nomination and Giamatti, but that would be such a fascinating one to talk about. Maybe uh, make an exception. Yeah. If I if I do that exceptions Patreon thing I've teased for a while, that would be one of the earlier ones, I, I imagine. Uh Miss Potter, where she plays Beatrix Potter and gets a Globe nomination for that as well. She's a voice in B movie. 2008, she's in Leatherheads and Appaloosa, uh, two movies directed by their stars that don't seem to be very good from what I've heard. I, I don't think I've ever heard of either of them. So Leatherheads is a George Clooney movie about the like early days of football in the US, and Appaloosa is a Western directed by Ed Harris that uh, that's literally all I know about it. I don't think I would have been able to tell you that she was even in it. Uh, okay. 2009 is ostensibly a big year for her in that she has yeah. four credits. Uh, she's in something called New in Town, which she appears to be the lead of. Uh, she's the lead voice in Monsters vs. Aliens. She's in something called My One and Only, which she also is ostensibly the lead in, Look, based on the poster on Wikipedia. And she's in something called Case 39, which she's ostensibly the lead in. I have not heard of any of those other three Case- movies. Case 39 is like used to be on TV in the UK all the time. I, I don't know why. I've only ever seen about half of it, but it's how her and Bradley Cooper met and then they dated for a few years. So at least I it's forgot about that. So at least good for that. her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then 2010 is the, the start of the gap uh, before Bridget Jones's baby was something called My Own Love Song uh, with her and Forrest Whitaker and Nick Nolte and Madeline Seema. Uh, which I have also not heard of. Wait, is, is this a music by Bob Dylan or also starring Bob Dylan? I can't read. Okay, it looks like it's just music by Bob Dylan from this poster, but wouldn't it be wild if he was also in it? That would have been something. Yeah. Music uh, by Bob Dylan, but it doesn't seem yeah. like he's actually in it. That's a shame. He should be. Yeah. He should have been in it. Uh, but then, yeah, five year gap. She comes back with Bridget Jones's baby and the whole truth. Uh, which I all oh, it's a, a legal thriller with Keanu Reeves, uh, Jim Belushi, Gugu Mbatha Ra, Gabriel the Basso. The whole truth. I remember that coming out and people saying, like, Renee Zellweger is amazing in it because I think she, Keanu Reeves, 
does he's a lawyer who's like representing a teenage boy who's killed someone or that would something trash. Like she hates the kid's mom and she's really good in it apparently i could be thinking about something completely different with a completely different person but could be but i mean that's that sounds plausible I vaguely remember the whole truth yeah 2017 she's in a christian drama film called same kind of different as me it has a uh, greg kinnear and jim Anansu and john voigt so who knows <laughs> Uh, 2018, she's in a, a romantic drama film called Here and Now. Uh, yeah, Sarah Jessica which, Parker vehicle. Right. I don't know anything else about it. Uh, yeah. And then Judy, and she wins another Oscar because Renee's back. She's she's, she's back a lead. Judy Garland, and Judy Garland never won one, so we'll give it to Renee. <laughs> and isn't it a, a shame that Renee Zellweger, who used to be this star, uh, her her only Oscar is in supporting. Uh, and like, oh, I mean, that was a very interesting awards campaign around getting her that Oscar for Judy, where so much yeah. of it felt like it had nothing to do with the performance. Yeah. At all. It, like it was it had everything to do with Judy Garland. It had yes. nothing to do with, you know, it being Renee returning at all, in my yeah. opinion. It was like even some of the stuff that did feel like it was about Renee returning, it wasn't like, oh, she's back giving this great performance. It's, mm. oh, she's back after all of these tabloid photos of her looking like she's had terrible plastic surgery. And she's back after being in a bunch of movies nobody watched. And she's back as the lead of something again. And not she's back delivering a good, like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone love that performance. Even the people that liked it and defended it and like that win, it it, and she steamrolled the whole season. Yeah, she swept. She won the Indie Spirit Award. Yeah, and I'll give it to her. You know, she's good in it. Like she's fine. The best thing that can be said is she's good in it. She gives it a role. She acts with her entire body, but it's like there's just it's just not good. (laughs) Yeah, she might be good, but it's not. It's and just so much that year that was so 2019 was such a good year for lead actress. And so opinion. few of them got nominated. Yeah. It was like just m- like- two arguably good performances in that lineup, give or take how you feel about marriage story. Yeah. Which I, I really like. Marriage story. I yeah, I yeah. I think she's I good in that. I just I I know uh, some people have soured on that performance, but I think Scarlett's good in that. Yeah. I she wouldn't be my winner. Yeah. She would be if I could go back and if I was the decider, she'd win supporting for me in 2019 for Jojo Rabbit. I love her in that so much. Um, but I just how Renee wins over like how Renee wins over, I mean, even like um Sir Sharonin in Little Women. Sir Sharonin, which felt like it over would have been the perfect time to reward her for that it performance, would've... for that role, for that collaboration. Like, I don't know how that didn't happen other than Little Women came out so late in the season that the the Zellweger uh, uh, campaign and like narrative had been so set it had taken off too yeah. much like people had already decided it's the same sort of thing though the trailer comes out and people decide that she's won you know yeah. it's like I can, I can feel that kind of momentum with like a lot of it is with Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer and a lot of it is Bradley Cooper in Maestro this year. Like I can feel like people have decided it's one of the two of them already. Yeah, but and... there's there's opportunity. There's I feel like the only one that is quote unquote set in stone. Excuse me, 
where it feels like there's a good narrative as well as I I mean it feels like Robert Downey Jr is Oh yeah he's like congratulations on your Oscar Robert Downey Jr like Yeah. 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 But but there there's there's wiggle room in the other three acting. It's only October. Although this comes out yeah. in this comes out on my birthday actually this episode. Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday on the day it comes out. Yes. Uh uh but yeah no there there's still uh, to back back to what we were saying, uh, so Judy she wins in 2019, uh, and the rest of her film filmography, that's it. That's the last movie she's made in in any capacity. She did that mini series last year, the thing about Pam, which is that the one where she's in like a fat suit or something? Yeah, she's in the fat suit, and people really hated the fact that she was in a fat suit. And- yeah. That was the only thing I ever heard of. Came out to defend it, and people just kind of left her out there to fend for herself, and then nobody ever spoke about the thing about Pam again. Yeah, this is the first time that has been brought up since uh, premiered uh, March eighth, twenty twenty two. This is the first time anyone's talked about it since March eighth, twenty twenty two, or I guess <laughs> April twelfth when it ended, when the last episode. Yeah, no, that uh, that didn't happen, uh, yeah. and that's that's renee that's her her career thus far you know i i i wish all the best for her i like her when she's very good in things which she yeah. has been people you know give her shit for stuff like cold mountain and judy which we also did just give her shit for but that's not emblematic of her as a performer as a whole she can be very charismatic and this performance is like the the pinnacle of that yeah it really is and i think that there's you know this is, I think this is her best performance. I think Bridget Jones's diary, she's never been better than in Bridget Jones. I, I could honestly, yeah, I could get on board with that for sure yeah. from what I've seen. I, I think she's great in Chicago. I love yeah. Chicago. One of my, I like, look at my letterbox, it's in my top four. Um, absolutely love it. Um, one of my favorite best picture winners, but I wouldn't vote for her over Nicole Kidman that year. Yeah. So I would vote for her over Halle Berry this year. So, yeah. Also with you, know, you at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else we want to say about her specifically, uh, or do we want to move on to some of the rest of the movie here? Um, you know, like there's not going to be as much to say because it's 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 the Bridget Jones show, pretty much start to finish. But there's other stuff we can talk about. Oh, hundred percent. You know, there's yeah. the only thing I kind of had really thought about was who else would have been considered for the role. There was a um, big list on IMDb to the point that I didn't even write it down, but I can pull it back up yeah. uh, just to see because there were there were a one one of the ones that got a, a separate note on the trivia there because there was one piece of trivia that was just a list of like thirty names or whatever. Uh, <sighs> but Tony Collette was at at one point in talks for it, but she had Broadway commitments. Yeah, which I I read this earlier and I can I can picture it. But also, I couldn't take Bridget. I couldn't take Renee out of Bridget. Like I just can't, you know, take the two. I've conflated yeah. them so much that they are one in the same now. It's yeah. Reading off all of these names, I don't. I can't see any of them. Some of these are okay. So the the list, as written on Wikip or on IMDb, as people that were considered for the role of Bridget Jones, 
Patricia Arquette, Rosanna Arquette, Julie Benz, Juliette Benoche, Selma Blair, Kate Blanchett, Saffron Burroughs, Helena Bonham Carter, Tony Collette, Cameron Diaz, Amanda Donahue, Claire Forlani, Rachel Griffiths, Elizabeth Hurley, Nicole Kidman, Alex Kingston, Lucy Lawless, Sophie Marceau, Catherine McCormick, Janet McTeer, Emily Mortimer, Julia Ormond, Sally Phillips, Jolie Richardson, Miranda Richardson, Nicolette Sheridan, Tilda Swinton, Kristen Scott Thomas, Emma Thompson, Emily Watson, Naomi Watts, Rachel Weiss, Olivia Williams, Kate Winslet, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. So any actress in their 30s at that point. <laughs> that could conceivably maybe be British-ish. Yeah. The only person, I think the only one that I can really picture from that, I can picture Tony Collette, but I could really see Naomi Watts. And I don't know whether it's just because she's blonde. Like, yeah. I don't know whether that's the only reason as to why. I Yeah, I, I mean, I were there any in there? Like, I don't know. The one name that I thought of uh, that, she would have been too young for the role at this point, but like if they made this a decade later, Olivia Coleman, I think, could have yeah. been a really good, uh, uh, like Olivia Coleman around like 2007, 2008, I think would have been, been perfect. Yeah. But also, you know, I'm glad we got the version we did get because it's yeah. great. I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking away this performance for the world. Exactly. But in 2007, we do get Olivia Coleman in Hot Fuzz. Yes, so, which is why I picked 2007 specifically, just because, exactly. you know. So, and I wouldn't take her out of that. Exactly. For the world. She's so good in that. Too. Oh, yeah. Okay, do we want to move on now and talk about the rest of the movie? Let's do it. Okay. Oh, fuck me, I love Keats. Have you heard this one? There was a young woman from Ealing who had a peculiar feeling. She lay on her back and opened her crack. And pissed all over the ceiling. Oh, bollocks for shit. I'm boring you for this. I can't see an alternative. I'm king of the world. Oh, fuck me. I want to start off. There there was one part. There was one bit of dialogue that I wrote. This is a really good script. This is a really smart, funny script. And there was one bit of dialogue that I wrote down because it's early on enough that I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is like proof of purchase for this script being as clever as it is, which it's at the the party at the very beginning of the Christmas party, uh, the turkey curry party where Colin yeah. Firth is talking to his mother uh, about Bridget. And he says that she's uh, a verbally incontinent spinster who smokes like a chimney, drinks like a fish and dresses like her mother, which <laughs> is just such a perfect little line there. And you have her framed in the background overhearing this and, setting them off on their eventual falling in love uh yeah. but that's just such a good line and this movie has so many like that that feel like oh if this is in the hands of a a less competent actor it's going to sound overly wordy and and like pretentious and loquacious but Firth is great everyone in this is so good with such occasionally heightened dialogue which is perfect yeah. for a comedy like this, where you want these people to be saying this catty but deeply funny stuff. Yeah. And I like there's not one, I mean, in terms of performances, no, there's not one bad performance. But I think that if it was a bad script, would have sung the whole thing. Would have yeah. sung the whole thing. Because there's nothing worse than a comedy with a bad script, in my opinion, because it's yeah. just not funny. And this is like, you know, to to uh, uh, Richard Curtis. I yeah. am not a big fan of Love Actually. <gasps> That's I, 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 uh, maybe this is just me being American. I don't know. But the one time I watched it, it's one of those that I, I do feel like the script of that 
hurts it because so much of it like feels kind of simple and feels kind of reductive in a way that you know i I don't want to be the the crack.com of like oh well this is actually creepy when you look at it for like yeah when you really dissect what's going on here but i just like wasn't engaged with it uh but no, but that's it's each yeah. their own. I think Love Actually. I didn't. I haven't seen Love Actually until like two years ago. It's like Love Actually is always like even even though it's a Christmas film, it's always on TV. Like always, because yeah. Richard Curtis films just always are because they're entertaining, um, at least to the English. And I'd never seen it because it was never interesting to me. And I was doing like an Emma Thompson binge at the time, and I thought like, well, okay, I best get round to it at some point then. Um, and I do like it. But I don't think it's as strong as like the script for Love Actually isn't as strong as for uh, Bridget Jones. Yes, yeah. Also, talk about a movie where they're trying to convince you the whole time that this woman is fat. Uh, with yeah. why can't I remember who that is? That actress who who is why can't I remember that the the one that Hugh Grant is the prime minister and fires her because he's so oh, into her. Um. Who is oh, that? I can't think of who that is now. It is okay. Um. Oh, Martine McC. Okay, so it's not an actress. It's uh, like the one big role in that movie that isn't someone that you recognize offhand. Yeah. Uh, so okay. Martine, McC- I, I feel less bad. Yeah. Yeah. Martine McCutcheon was in a, a a UK soap called EastEnders. I don't know if right. you've ever. I have. I've that. heard of EastEnders. I she don't know like, anything else about it. She was like a nineties it girl. Um, she right. she like had a music career. She had she was in EastEnders. She did music. She did all of these things. And now nobody talks about Martine McCutcheon. Yeah, sounds sounds about yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, no, that movie. There's just bits in that that because uh, it's a Christmas romance movie, and some of it is going to be sappy. And yeah. I, I I think the sappiness kind of seeps into the parts of the movie that aren't for me. But yeah, this movie does not suffer from that. This movie is sharp and witty and fun and it's sweet when it needs to be and it's biting when it needs to be and there's just so many really good the joke of just like even just the the fact that this movie has two different people ask salman rushdie where the bathrooms are at this event is it's just a good it's a good joke It's, it's a funny movie and the script is yeah the for a comedy like this the script is first and foremost what you need to be good and uh this would have been a really good screenplay nomination it would have been an incredible screenplay nomination there's like a lot of like the the next year you have my big fat greek wedding gets a screenplay nomination and you'll get movies like this that are like big populist comedies or even specifically rom-coms that do end up getting those for being as big and and just like zeitgeisty as they are. And I imagine this one probably came pretty close. We'll talk about it when we talk about the Oscars, but it's a shame it didn't, honestly, because it's a really good script. It's a really good script. I think the best thing about it, like, well, other than the fact that it's just funny, is how snappy it is. It's so, it gets in, it gets out. No joke overstays, it's welcome. It's, it, and also, like, aside from the comedy aspects of it, it's just generally well-written. It's well-paced. Yeah. It's, it, it's well timed. Everything is just so like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna line all of your ducks in a row, and then here they are, and they're just there. And it's it's nice. It's neat. It's presented well. It doesn't feel like anything there. superfluous. It doesn't feel like no. like like you said. We're not spending even when there's the brief little aside where she gets the job as the TV presenter that 
kind of takes like a, a, a sidetrack, although that ends up, you know, having a relevance to the plot. That's what gets her and Mark sort of uh, uh, back together. Mark, Mr. Darcy, by the way, because yeah. this is kind of Pride and Prejudice and uh yes. and Pride and Prejudice because, Redux. It's... Yes. And the casting joke of having him be Mr. Darcy is is good. It's a good bit. Yeah. It's a uh, great Yeah. Uh but let's actually talk about him while we're here. Uh okay. he's so charming for being yeah. such a a reserved asshole for most of this movie. Or we're led to believe that he's this reserved asshole. But even st- I mean he looks like Colin Firth. He's so pretty. You're not going to like, you can't be mad at him. He looks like Colin Firth. Yeah, exactly. I, I've always kind of thought of like Colin Firth and Hugh Grant in this is like two sides of the same coin where they're both gorgeous to look at, but one is so charismatic. And like, it's almost like the extrovert versus the introvert. And it's exactly who will Bridget choose? Who will, cho- who will choose Bridget as well? And Colin Firth has got this like really incredible, just like charismatic, but quiet, demeanor about him anyway and it's just pretty much in everything that he's in um and I, I just find that especially when he's doing like comedy work he excels because he's got that kind of like english wit about him he's just he just comes across as intelligent and like he understands the joke before you've even said it and yeah i think that's why you know that's why he can make the kind of coldness and brashness of mark darcy work so well in this because it's, you know, he he knows what's gone on and he knows exactly why Bridget shouldn't be with this person. But he can kind of make an internalised joke about it that he doesn't want to say himself because there's still deep hurt there from what Hugh Grant's... Um, I can't think of his name now. Uh, but what yeah, he did What is his it, name in this? It, it, uh, it's not as, as interesting. I can only think of him as just her boss. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not, Hugh Grant. He's just Hugh Grant. Yeah. Um, Daniel Cleaver. That's it. Did not retain that at all, having just watched it. Um, but yeah, and, and also because like up until the he reaches his boiling point and they have that big fight scene, like Mark Darcy is a gentleman. And he's yeah. he's just sitting there simmering and and kind of wallowing in his own pain because he's a bit of a sad boy. Uh, but you know, just watching this this romance unfold that he's jealous of in more ways than even he realizes at first and it's it's just you know very compelling to watch he, he does a very good job in this for a character that unfolds very slowly it's a very slow burn to get at what his actual whole deal is uh in, in like staggered sort of drops of how he really feels about bridget and what his real backstory is with the hugh grant character whose name i've already forgotten Daniel Cleaver. Yes. Uh and and all that. No, he he's 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 very fun to watch and a good romantic partner as well for her. He's yeah. he he's again good with the chemistry between them. Yeah. I th- I think like Colin Firth has this kind of almost timeless quality about him as well. Yeah. Like I can picture him if he was in films in the 30s, it makes sense. But if yeah. he's in films in the 2020s, it makes sense. It's yeah. just he doesn't fit into kind of any time place in film because he is that versatile of an actor that he can just do these things. And he is really good at being dramatic. He can, you know, act his ass off in the King's speech, or he can be really funny in Bridget Jones's diary. It's, exactly. You know, he's got that range, which is really great to see. Whereas I don't know that Hugh Grant has that range. Which, which is, is also like, the charm of Hugh Grant is that he's, yeah. he, there's like a few modes he's really good at and he's really yeah. good at them. He can be 
charming and aloof and very sweet and sincere floppy little like puppy dog and he can be just like a charming and deeply fake total asshole like exactly like paddington too it, that's that's why we love that performance so much because it's hugh grant getting to do the hugh grant asshole thing up to like a 45 and yeah. i mean you you get find two things you're good at and you stick to it like exactly yeah like his best, hugh grant's best role is hugh grant like yeah yeah you know, he uses the talents that he's got and he, he he just runs with it and that's that's why it works exactly and i think this is good like not really against typecasting for him here because this is you know several years removed from the 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 scandal uh yeah. of it all and he's already like been rehabilitated with notting hill and everything yes uh in in the years because it was like 96 or 97 um but he's he's had some sort of re- rehabilitation to make him that rom-com lead again and then now here you have him playing the the like playboy type but like as a total asshole in a way that you know kind of works with his public persona and and kind of you know you believe him as this you know kind of sex maniac uh uh chauvinistic womanizer that because he looks like hugh grant you can't like you get why she's kind of willing to hear him out at when he shows up uninvited to her birthday party saying i didn't think you would have anyone over like holy shit man you thought she was gonna like that you were going to surprise her all alone on her birthday he's he's an asshole total asshole but because he looks like hugh grant you're like Oh, you can't what you have to say give him because he's yeah. just nice to look at it's it just is so one thing about the script that i really love is at the beginning um when bridget's first writing her in the titular diary um she she starts writing about uh, must avoid all of these character yeah. types in a person and i wrote them down alcoholic workaholic commitment phobic peeping toms megalomaniacs emotional fuckwits and perverts and then Cut to Hugh Grant. <laughs> yeah, and she, yeah, because it's all that, and and I really don't want to fall in with a man that embo- embodies all of that. Smash cut to elevator doors opening on Hugh Grant's smiling mug. It's like, of course, because you're going to fall for that person, and we we love to watch it happen, and we can scream at the screen to tell her not to do it, but at the same time, it's also like, you know, it's this this self fulfillment of like, I want to watch her fall in love with the asshole because we've all done it. We've all like. Exactly. You know, we all want to fall in love with the arsehole because it's dramatic and it gives us something to talk about and it's funny stories like that that keep us all going. But at the same time, you're also like, no, Bridget, don't do it. And also because, like, not that she doesn't know any better, but, you know, like, one of the first lines is, uh, it was the beginning of my 32nd year being single. Like, she's never been, like, she has no frame of reference of, like, the red flags to look for in a relationship a, a blossoming relationship with yeah. her boss uh because he's charming and he looks like hugh grand and anyone would fall for that yeah um yeah and it's also the office romance of it all like it's it's easy to get swept away in that because you spend i mean you spend, if she spends 40 hours a week with the guy of course yeah. yeah and and he's he's a little bit of a jerk to her but he also ends one of his you know very formal PR flirting emails with PS. I liked your tits in that top and, yeah. and all that. And she's, you know, she likes the validation from a gorgeous man. And yeah. yeah. How could anyone not fall for that? Exactly. What else uh, do I have notes for? 
Oh yeah. Oh, one of the things that I. No, never mind. That was a, that was a complete non sequitur. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't have an ending to that. Um, okay. I feel like there's not as much really that we can say about because, like, I know this was my first time watching it, but like, I had this the same thing uh, a couple of weeks ago when I did the Karate Kid on this show, where like that was my first time watching that. But really, what is there to say about Bridget Jones's diary? You know. Most people have seen this or have some awareness of it. Where are we going to bring new to like talking about some of the minutiae of certain scenes of like, oh, the bunny suit scene is funny because she's in a bunny suit and nobody else is, uh, which it's good. Like it it works effectively uh, in 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 the context of the movie. It's all I really have to say about it. It's good. Yeah, it's it's like it's like asking the color, like, how do you feel about trees? It's like, yeah, the trees are good. Bridget Jones is good. It's is it there? It just simply is. It's a cultural thing that has been around since the mid '90s. Slash the film in two thousand and one. People love it. People exactly. come back to Bridget Jones because it's funny and because of the performances and because of the heart, because of the humor, because of all of these things that are just so quintessentially just warming. Yeah. And it's speaking of quintessentially just warming, Jim Broadbent is so delightful, so good in this. He's del- mm-hmm. He's incredible in everything. Yeah. I it, it had been a couple of years since I'd seen this actually, and I'd see I'd watched Iris the day before I'd watched Iris yesterday, right? And I was, was sat thinking like, oh, Jim Broadbent was in a lot this year. Oh, Jim Broadbent was also in Moulin Rouge. Yeah, <laughs> like quite an incredible year for him. Which then leads me to wonder: is that why Jim Broadbent wins this year? Because, Almost certainly. Almost certainly, of- it's like partially for this, but mostly for Moulin Rouge on the back of yeah. Iris as well. Um, where would you have put Jim Broadbent in uh, Monsters Ball and uh, in the bedroom if you had to cast him in both of those as well to to fill out the the best actress lineup? Jim it don't have to be characters that already exist, like replacing other characters, but just like put them in the movie in some place. Where where would they go? Oh, okay. Um, so Jim Broadbent would just be like a guy in the diner where Halle Berry works, and in the bedroom, one of Tom Wilkinson's friends, yeah. or someone in Sissy Spacek's choir. Ooh, that's good. I like that Which a lot. I think actually. would be quite an interesting. I'd yeah. love to see. If oh Jim Broadbent and Sissy Spacek, that'd be an interesting pairing. Yeah, or Jim Broadbent. I mean, I'm sure Jim Broadbent and Tom Wilkinson have been in something together. More than likely. Yeah, like I'm actually gonna look that up because if not, that's wild. Yeah, that's not how you spell that name. Uh, They're in something called The Gathering Storm. A TV movie, also with Albert Finney and Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, it's the Albert wow. Finney, uh, Winston Churchill thing. Oh, okay. And then they're also in Smilla's Sense of Snow. Never heard of that. I only know it for the title because it's a funny title. But that also had also Vanessa Redgrave, Julia Ormond, Gabriel Byrne, Richard Harris. Uh, interesting cast on that. Robert Loja? Weird. Good. I mean, it's a bizarre cast, but I mean, yeah. fair play. Yeah, why not? Um, but yeah. So, how did we? Oh, yeah. Jim Broadbent being in this movie—he's very, very delightful. Just father figure. Always happy yeah. to see him pop up in something. I also just for the first time for last week's episode watched Gangs of New York, and oh, okay. I don't think I n- knew he was in that. 
until watching it. And uh, I'd forgotten that until you just said. Yeah, he's got a fairly substantial role. He's like Boss Tweed. Uh, Yeah. So he is. So he is. Um, Yeah, love some Jim Broadbent. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about him some more when we talk about uh, the the Oscars at large. And speaking of, is there anything else we want to say about Bridget Jones's diary or do we want to move on to the Oscars? I mean, there's nothing more that I feel like I've got to say. It's the only, the best thing I can say about Bridget Jones is that I I love it. And I think everybody should, it should, everybody should see it if they need, if they've got 90 minutes to kill. Yeah. It's it's mercifully, not mercifully short as if I was having a bad time, but like sometimes (laughs) you just need a movie like this to like, you know, sit down and watch it. Exactly. Does not overstay its welcome even a second. Even like the the bits over the credits where you have uh, like interviewing people about uh, her and Mark and th- oh, those are fun. That one bit with Daniel didn't age particularly well where he's he's with the, the, the woman who turns out to be a trans woman. <laughs> I must have missed that because I like had that part going oh, yeah. on in the background while I was setting up to record. I missed that. Oh no. It's the very last clip and it's a woman. It, it, it's like female presenting who Hugh Grant is talking says this woman's name and then she goes actually my name's Alan oh I I missed that oh no had completely forgotten about that but that's not aged particularly well whoops whoops that's a uh, uncomfortable punchline um so yeah let's move on uh to some Oscar stuff the nominees are Halle Berry in Monsters Ball Judy Dench in Iris. Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Sissy Spasic for In the Bedroom. And Renee Zellweger in Bridget Jones's Diary. So as far as precursors, it shows up a bunch of places. I didn't write down a lot of them because some of them are like critics groups or like festivals or or foreign things or smaller things or things that, you know, the, the IMD, you can scroll through at your leisure. But as far as notable things, the Golden Globes, it's nominated for Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, loses to Moulin Rouge, uh, also nominated Gosford Park, Legally Blonde and Shrek. This is this is the Shrek year. Uh, uh, Renee is nominated for Best Actress in a Musical Comedy, loses to Kidman for Moulin Rouge. Uh, at SAG, Renee is nominated, Halle Berry wins, uh, and Kidman is the one that misses because they put Jennifer Connelly in lead for A Beautiful Mind. Right. And so Kidman ends up, uh, but otherwise it's the Oscar lineup. At BAFTA, uh, nominated for Best, excuse me, wow, nominated for Best British Film, loses to Gosford Park. Renee is nominated for Best Actress, loses to Judy Dench because it's BAFTA, so naturally. Yeah. Uh, Colin Firth is nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a lineup that goes zero for five with the Oscars, which is always fun. Uh, Jim, I'm including Eddie Murphy in Shrek. Yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent winning for Moulin Rouge, Hugh Bonneville for Iris, and Robbie Coltrane for the first Harry Potter movie. Uh, and nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay with BAFTA, losing to Shrek. Wow. Wow, right? That is not a BAFTA decision. It it just goes. Everyone had Shrek fever. We created yeah. 
a whole entire Oscar category so that Shrek wouldn't win Best Picture. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, Critics' Choice, Renee is nominated, which, like, you know, speaks to how beloved this performance is because this is like the yeah. early days of critics choice while they're still making interesting while they're still before they're like let's just predict the oscars yeah it's uh so the fact that renee was able to get in with the critics choice is you know good for her for that uh writers guild nominated for best adapted screenplay uh which is a beautiful mind wins lord of the rings ghost world and then black hawk down uh that and this over what are shrek and what's the other nominee there at the Oscars? Uh, oh, in the bedroom. Oh, okay. Right. In yeah. the, uh, the USC scripter, which is a similar sort of like it's for specifically it's a it's an award just for screenplays based on books, like adapted specifically from books. Uh, a Beautiful Mind wins there, also nominated in the bedroom, Lord of the Rings, and The Shipping News. Oh, okay. Apparently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this gets a Grammy nomination for Best Compilation Soundtrack in a film or TV. It's a great soundtrack. It is. But it loses to a an even better soundtrack, uh, the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, which is so That's good great. that it not just wins Best Compilation Soundtrack, that wins Album of the Year at the yeah. Grammys, which is one of the coolest, weirdest Grammy picks. Ever. So, I mean, back when the Grammys wanted to make interesting choices, I mean, yeah, got a hand it to him. It beats out like a U2 album and a Bob Dylan album and uh, Stankonia by Outkast. And I don't remember what the fifth one is, but that's just such a wild pick. The Oh Brother Where Art Thou compilation album. I mean, compilation, like it, it's still new recordings and everything, but yeah, crazy. Uh, the Satellite Awards, it's nominated for Best Picture in a Musical or Comedy uh, in a much cooler lineup than the Oscar or the than the Golden Globe lineup, uh, if just for a couple changes here. Moulin Rouge also wins Gosford Park, and then the Royal Tenenbaums and Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is a, a bad lineup for the satellites. Uh, nominated for Best Actress in a Musical Comedy loses to Nicole Kidman. Best Actor in a Musical Comedy for Colin Firth loses to Ewan McGregor. And Best Supporting Actor in a Musical or Comedy for Hugh Grant loses to Jim Broadbent for Moulin Rouge. They really, really loved their Moulin Rouge as as they should the as they should rules uh what else did i write down here european film awards uh, gets a couple nominations the goya awards nominated for best european film uh both of those cases it loses to amelie uh the mtv movie awards it's nominated for best kiss uh oh, as the, it should be yeah for the kiss at the end uh with firth and zellweger loses to uh, jason biggs and sean william scott in american pie 2 which isn't it funny oh, that two boys cool. kissed? Isn't it? Isn't yeah, it hilarious? Hysterical. Yeah. Um, up, the against, up against Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor in Moulin Rouge, Mia Kirshner and Beverly Paulson in another teen movie. He's Ledger and Shannon Sossaman in A Night's Tale. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't write down the other ones there, but uh, yeah. MTV Best Kiss. Yeah. Bring it back. Bring right. It they, back. They, they, they retired that category. Bring it back. Oh, no. They have got it. it oh, is, they do. It is, Okay, I think I must have been thinking about who's who won last. Well, because the MTV now it's the MTV Movie and TV Awards, and so all of it is like Disney shows or whatever. Yeah, it was from so it was a TV show that won Best Kiss this year. Madison Bailey and Rudy Panko in Atabanks. Ah, I have heard that title. I don't know what it is. I think it's a Disney Plus thing. 
I don't actually know. Uh, it was a Netflix. Ah, there. The Teen Choice Awards. This gets a handful of nominations. Nominated for choice movie your parents didn't want you to see, which it loses to Scary Movie too. Nominated for choice fight scene for the big fight at the end, which is a good fight scene. Loses. That is a good fight scene. Save the Last Dance, even though you have Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon also nominated. Right there. Yeah, and nominated for best or sorry, choice movie chemistry between actually i think it was with hugh grant weirdly and not colin Firth. do you want to take a stab at who wins choice movie chemistry and i will tell you because this is like a weird overlapping year thing this is from 2000 this is a 2000 oh okay is it something that would kind of be recognizable in oscar terms yes but no this is it's a wild pick it is a the reason i'm making you guess this is because it's a truly wild pick I'm just going to, I don't know, Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe in Gladiator, I don't know. Even weirder, it's Tom Hanks and the volleyball in Castaway. What? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it for the novelty factor of, like, he makes you believe that there's any sort of emotionality to him talking to a volleyball, but, like, choice movie chemistry? It's a volleyball. It's Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just Tom Hanks by himself. Yeah. It's, yeah. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Weird. Uh, and then the London Critics Circle. Uh, the only other one I wrote down, and I don't know why I waited to put it after the Teen Choice Awards. Uh, uh, the screenwriting team wins uh, Best British Screenwriters of the Year. Right. So good for them. Yeah. Yeah. So w- where do we want? So to talk about the actual Oscars after that wall of text in my notebook here. Um. Uh, do you want to talk about Best Actress first? Obviously, because you watched rewatched all of them. I imagine you'd were there any were any of those a first time watch for you? No, I'd seen them all before. So a couple of years ago, I went through and there were there were loads of gaps in my Best Actress um, like watch list. So I, I went through and watched everything from nineteen seventy three to now. Right um, so I, I'd seen them all, and um, I don't enjoy Iris as a film. Or Monsters Ball as a film. Yeah. Uh, but I can understand why, obviously, Judy Dench and Halle Berry are there. Um, Nicole Kim and I love in Moulin Rouge with all my heart. Um, and obviously, Renee Zellweger with all my heart. And um, Sissy's basic in the bedroom is just incredible. So it's, you know, it's a great year. It is. Yeah. Even though I feel the same about Iris, which is a movie I don't remember much of anything about uh and Not monsters right. ball which i watched this morning and also kind of don't remember all that much about uh but i understand contextually for her career for you know the the history making aspect of it the fact that she was the first woman of color to win best actress yeah i don't i mean i i would not have voted for her it's a okay no. performance in a melodrama that is not very good at all yeah i the uh, thing is I, I feel bad kind of like shitting on monsters ball because of what it means and what Halle yeah. Berry's win means and it is so meaningful and it's incredible that she she did that and that i mean it took you know far too many years for that to actually finally happen and the fact that it's only happened once since with michelle yo is like a disgrace in and of itself yeah and I, and, I, and I would feel awful taking that away from Halle Berry. I'm not going to go to her house and snatch her Oscar off her and like engrave someone else's name in it. Yeah. But, but it's one of those cases where like, 
I wouldn't give her the win, but also I would give plenty of other actresses of color the win much earlier as well. Yeah. So like I'm I'm not taking it away, but also keeping the historical baggage leading up to that point. Like yeah. I, I I that that's my way of, of not feeling as bad about it. Of like you know I I understand I absolutely understand the historical significance and absolutely good for her. I'm happy that. It, it that it's her because she's a great actress that gets yeah. unfairly shit on uh it's just that this one performance is not necessarily the one that it should have been uh at, at that point yeah. in time i don't know the thing it's is just... the problem that i then have with Halle berry is i don't know that she then has i don't know that she has another film i could say like oh well you know what if she'd want it for this instead like, yeah. I, I just they've not given her the right like she's an academy award-winning actress who immediately had to go and do Catwoman and X-Men 2. Like, it's just, give her something. Like, yeah. she just never had the right material. And that's just, I mean, that's that's a deeper problem with the industry as a whole. Yeah. In terms of what Where's her, Judy? Want. Where's her big comeback? Yeah. Like, I, I, would, I would love to see her do something like that, where she gets to do a big dramatic role, like a, like a serious comeback that's not her yeah. in whatever wig. Uh, either kidnapping a child or having her child kidnapped, uh, uh, as is, has been her career for a while now. Yeah, uh, part of what always feels gross with Halle Berry as well is how she's like carted out every year at the Oscars as the black actress that won Best Actress yeah. to go and present some like random tech award, and then obviously this year she got to present Michelle Yeoh with Best Actress, but even that just felt like. It, Come and welcome someone else into the club, Hallie. Finally, yeah. here you go. It's like it, it just—I don't know. It just feels gross. It doesn't feel. And it nice. also felt a bit like. And here's also Jessica Chastain in case it's Kate Blanchett, so that we we don't have the bad optics of that. Yeah, exactly. Which, like, I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah, I, I always feel really bad for Halle Berry. She's an incredible yeah. actress. That's had I'm a really terrible glad career. That she has an Oscar. I, I'm so Honestly. glad for her. I think she's incredible. She. But, you know, I, I don't love the film as good yeah. as she is in it. I just don't love it. Yeah, it's, uh, she's not, she's third built. She gets billed under Heath Ledger, who's dead, dead in like 25 minutes. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. And like yeah. Heath Ledger, who had been like, like a teen star the past couple of years, but like Halle Berry, who had been around for like a decade at that point. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird it's movie. Just and it really got a screenplay bizarre. nomination over. Yeah, which again just feels gross because it's like I was so I was watching this earlier today and I just was sat thinking like Hallie doesn't have a lot to do in this. Like she's she's literally get she's got a very reactionary role. Things just happen around her completely out of her control. And there's nothing wrong with having a passive protagonist. I completely understand the point of that and why that's She's also not the protagonist. She's not. You could have we, easily seen a, a world where they run her supporting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you could quite easily see that, and I, I'm glad she's lead because I, I can in a way see it. But also, yeah. if she was supporting, I wouldn't be arguing it. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's yeah. wild. I don't know. We that okay? That yeah. That's a lot of monsters ball talk. Uh, for yeah. a movie I uh, it, that is slipping out of my memory as we speak, having watched it again this morning, yeah. it's it's crazy uh, how that happens. But this other, the rest of the lineup, 
Iris notwithstanding. Uh, so I guess three out of five. I don't know. But three out of five, great performances in great movies. Uh, it, it, yeah. Moulin Rouge is just like ethereally great. Uh, and, yeah. you know, she just some of her best work. Yeah, I, I think like, like Nicole Kidman's got like a similar thing with Halle, with Halle Berry, with Renee Zellweger, with Moulin Rouge, where the momentum had been building so much so, I think probably since To Die For, that it was like, it is time. Moulin Rouge is like the big popcorn movie of the year that we're going to give. Uh, well, besides Lord of the Rings, obviously, that we're yeah. going to give like a Best Picture nomination to. Nicole Kidman comes along with the package and she's great in it herself. I don't want to kind of denounce her performance and belittle it in a way that makes it sound like she just was a package deal with the film. But, you know. And she also had a great year this year too with the others. Incredible year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I go back and forth on whether I think she was nominated for the right film because... it's Which is, you know, a good way to have it where if you have two performances so good that you're like, you you can't pick which one is better. That's that's not bad. That's that's good for Nicole. Yeah, good for Nicole. I'm glad that she like was nominated for Moulin Rouge because it probably did give her that like extra boost to possibly win. But um, you know, at the same time, I I think if I could if I could choose which performance of hers I prefer between Moulin Rouge and the others, it's the others just because yeah. I prefer. I think I would rather watch the others than Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge is a lot to just put on passively. Yeah. <laughs> so is the others it's not like the others is a light watch uh for, no, for different even, reasons but yeah yeah for very different reasons and i think i'm always going to have that like back and forth on them because they're just two incredible films that i really love with an incredible performance from nicole kidman who i also really love yeah uh, so it's just interchangeable exactly and then sissy space second in the bedroom yeah. also fantastic also like what 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 is there to say about that but, performance? Yeah. That- she's absolutely incredible in it just you know, there's. I think Sissy Spacek has this like really incredible quality where she's just so real. She's just at no. There, there was a scene where she was with Tom Wilkinson, and it's it's while the sun is still alive, um, and she, he's talking, and he's kind of positioned in a way where he's like half looking at the camera, half looking at her, and she's just looking directly at him, and it's just her side profile facing yeah. the camera. And I just was really like, even though it's a small thing, I was so struck by it because I thought, wow, she's just so in this scene she's so there she's so present she's just so good i mean she's sissy space like she's always good yeah but it it was just a real like wow that's like a that's really like palpable there yeah it's a that's another movie where just everyone is firing on all cylinders like yeah not just the three that get oscar nominations but what's the name of the son who's that actor nick stall right and then uh uh I gotta mention him anytime he shows up in something because he's great on Lost and he's great at being creepy. William Mapother as the the asshole ex-husband who will always show up as terrifying, hey, it's that guy from Lost. Uh, (laughs) And every time, like I've been going through Justified, uh, uh, which I had never seen. I'm watching that with my mom and he has a little stint on that and he's equally as terrifying and and, uh, intimidating on that. And everyone they're like all of all of their friends all of uh wilkinson and spacex friends in that it's just so good i think that's kind of like partly the magic of todd field though like yeah you know, is he capable of making anything bad 
who's to say? He made in the bedroom. He made little children. He made tar. He made big league chew the the baseball gum. <laughs> he's one of the he's one of the people that in, that invented big league chew the baseball gum, which is good gum. If That's, I don't know if yeah. you have that over there, but uh, I don't think I've ever heard of it. But I well, I mean, I've heard of it. Yeah, cult, like culturally, culturally. yeah. We don't but, have that. Here. Yeah, I, I feel like I need to spread the good word on that anytime Todd Field comes up, is that on top of everything else, he and one of his friends invented Big League Chew. Okay, I will look it up. I will, yeah. I'm going to make a decision to find it. It's, it's just a wild thing about him. But yeah, no, In the Bedroom, I I should watch that. Like, I watched that and Little Children for the first time last year in preparation for Tar. Like, I watched them both in, like, an afternoon the day before I saw Tar. So that was... A lot to take in over 48 hours or whatever, yeah. but it's it's really fantastic. And Spacek is so good in in like a performance that is in less of the movie than you remember because she's so yeah. commanding when she is on screen that it feels like she's in so much more of it. Yeah, she, she does. It, it feels like she's there significantly more than she is, as you say. And I remember, so I, I, I get, I watched it probably two, three years ago for the first time. And I'd forgotten. So watching the first 20 odd minutes of it, I'd forgotten what In the Bedroom was actually about. And then all of a sudden, Marissa Tomei and, and Nick Stoll are there and they're having this relationship. And then the guy dies. And then all yeah. of a sudden it's about Sissy's basically like Tom Wilkinson. And I'd completely forgotten about that. So I remember watching it going, wait, why, why is Marissa Tomei so front and center? Why is she not lead? Why? Why, why is all of this happening? And then as soon as that, that happens and that kind of flips to become about parents, it's so like, oh, like this is this is that like character study of like these these grieving parents and how do they cope with that and how do they move forward? And how does, it, it really amazes me how Sissy's basic handles that and how yeah. she navigates that. It's in an ideal world, maybe all three of them would have won. I would give Marissa Tomei the award 100%. Um, Sissy Spacek, I go back and forth between her and Nicole Kidd. Yeah. And then Wilkinson is fantastic as, as well. I feel like so much of the, the chatter around that movie nowadays is so much on Spacek and Tomei that like people undersell how good Wilkinson is in that. He's like, amazing. It's, it's a yeah. haunting. I, I, I think the first time I watched In the Bedroom, I did like a double bill of that with Michael Clayton. And Tom Wilkinson's like, a, he's a, I mean, he's he's a big English guy. Like, he, you know, he's he's pretty big here. Um, even if you don't know his name, like you've seen him in something. Like and The Dark just, Knight, for example. Which, yeah, remember what, that he's in that? I did not remember that he was in that. <laughs> he's like, he's like a Carmine Falcone. Falcone. Oh, the, the, like, the mob boss that Turturro plays in... Uh, or he's he's one of those. He's maybe like Sal Maroney. He's one of like the big Batman mob bosses in the Dark Knight. And it's crazy, right? I am I am shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. not acknowledge that he was in that. Apparently. Um very briefly. But yeah, sorry. I interrupted uh, what you were saying about Wilkinson uh for that little bit there, but uh Yeah. Yeah. I just you know, just he's just he's just got this really palpable sense of like commandingness about him as well in the same way that Spacek does that he's just so there and you pay attention and you watch him as he like mourns as he mourns and as he grieves and, and as he tries to make things right with his wife 
and 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 then when he makes his final decision about what he's going to do at the end of the film and that action and and how he responds to that is so powerful as well yeah it's a it's a three out of five of these best actress nominees are really good movies and when you get that you know things could be worse things could be worse than having three great movies in your lineup yeah and two great and two serviceable good performances in not great movies no one in here is bad No, no no one in this lineup is giving a bad performance no no i mean even halle berry who i don't think has that much to do at least the way that she, you know, even if she's in a very reactionary role, at the thing she has reacting. to do, she does very good. Yeah, you know, at least she's reacting in a very like, wow, she's she's great. <laughs> it's a melodrama. It's it's a very yeah. very obvious melodrama, but she does good stuff with the material. A hundred percent, hundred percent. I also do want to talk about uh, because we mentioned it. the The adapted screenplay lineup this year yeah. is interesting, uh, and I think. I mean, it's not at all necessarily what it would look like if I were picking. There's a few of these I would take out. Yeah. But so the winner is a, a beautiful mind. Uh, Ghost World is nominated, which is so cool. Yeah, one of the coolest nominations uh, around this time. In the bedroom, which, like we've been saying, great. The script of that is so good. Fellowship of the Ring, which, yeah, not necessarily screenplay movie, but of the three, it's probably the one that. If I am giving that trilogy citation for screenplay, that would be the one. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'm not really a Lord of the Rings guy. I've only seen them once. I am a big Lord of the Rings lover. So, and, and but, yeah, uh, you know, like of the of the three, I, th- I think Two Towers is screenplay nominated as well. But I think, I, just, uh, I, I think all three of them were. Yeah, we'll just we'll just go on the basis that they were of the yeah. three. Like Fellowship is the best written, a hundred percent. Like it would be yeah. the one. If it could only win one, it would be Fellowship that I'd give it to. Yeah. And then Shrek. Shrek yeah. also nominated for Adapted Screenplay. I would easily take out A Beautiful Mind. And I'm not really a, a Shrek person either. Although I understand the nomination here. I, But like, come on, guys. Let's, let's be serious for a moment. It's Shrek. What are we doing here? Like, I love Monsters... Oh no, no, I read that as Monsters Inc. Monsters Ball was original screenplay, but like I could, Shrek just doesn't make sense to me as a screenplay nomination. Yeah, I get it in that like, oh, look at this, this, you know, edgy and, and you know, it's, it's making, it's poking fun at a whole genre. It's poking fun at Disney. It's poking fun at this type of animated movie. And isn't it crazy that it was based on a book too? That's kind of funny. That's something. Yeah. Um, I don't know. They just they re- Shrek was this close to a best picture nomination. Yeah. Which I mean I I am a big Shrek guy. I love Shrek. Um not I'm not like a stan of Shrek or anything, but I just enjoy it as much as the next person, but the fact that it was that close when you've got the lineup that you've got. I mean, I'd easily take out a beautiful mind for Shrek if those were the two choices, but Yeah. Like, but like Mulholland Drive, guys. Come yeah. on. Come on, gets the one nomination for Best Director, but like put that in picture, screenplay, actress, cinematography, yeah. editing, score, sound, all of it. Just come on. It's it's Mulholland Drive. And it's crazy that that's not like tied with like La La Land and Titanic and Ben Hur as the most nominated thing ever. 
it's crazy that that's not doesn't even have okay i i was hoping that by the end of that sentence i would have thought of a bad movie that has multiple it's crazy that that doesn't have as many nominations as the tim burton alice in wonderland yeah or there's there's god shrek yeah in the same year as okay yeah what what else this year does get multiple nominations that uh this doesn't uh shrek uh, Pearl Harbor gets four nominations. Four nominations for that's, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. That's that's untenable. Yeah, I mean, what? Okay, what does Pearl Harbor get nominated for? It's it's all it's all text and song and song for the which is Leanne Rhymes' song. Uh, Diane Play War- Play yeah, Diane Warren wrote it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that and then sound. Uh, where else is it? Uh, visual effects. And what's the other one? Uh, it wins for best sound editing. So Pearl Harbor has an Oscar, and Mulholland Drive, Mulholland doesn't. Drive doesn't. Yep. Shameful. Yeah, that that's that's just how it goes. Um, but like also while we're just talking on uh best original screenplay this year uh with monsters ball getting nominated in an otherwise airtight lineup with gosford park yeah. amelie memento and the royal tenenbaums but like sub out monsters ball for maholland drive or monsters inc or the man who wasn't there i know was like really heavily considered and i think that got a wga nomination as well like that's lesser cohen's and it shouldn't be and that's like a considerable if you're gonna go for a billy bob thornton movie in original screenplay if that's yeah. the quota that you're holding yourself to for some reason that's a significantly better option than monsters ball but also that means i would have to talk about monsters ball on this podcast so maybe maybe things worked out the way they were supposed to i don't want to have to yeah. do a whole episode on monsters ball it all works out okay in the end yeah oh boy is there anything else we want to say about these Oscars in general. Uh, I don't imagine Colin Firth or Hugh Grant were really in the running, even though they got it. Like Firth got that BAFTA nomination and they showed up a few other places. I can't imagine either of them were really in consideration. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I think if one of the two of them was close, it was Colin Firth, just because he's Colin Firth. And I don't know that even though Hugh Grant had kind of rehabilitated his image from the scandal, I don't know that he necessarily fully recovered to an extent where yeah they were like welcome back come on come on Colin Firth like yeah if it didn't uh yeah if if it didn't happen for about a boy or Paddington 2 or whatever I don't think that it was particularly close for this one or even Um, Florence Foster Jenkins yeah yeah that seemed like it was going to happen for a second there I thought it would I remember being quite surprised that that didn't happen at the time uh Michael Shannon nominated him over Merrill yeah yeah um, I do actually, uh, looking back at my notes, I didn't mention this when we said it, but speaking of Hugh Grant, uh, at the Satellite Awards where he was nominated for Supporting Actor in a Musical Comedy, that lineup is a really cool lineup. Uh, along with him, you have Broadbent winning for Moulin Rouge, Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson both nominated for the Royal Tenenbaums, Bashemi yeah. for Ghost World, and Carl Reiner for Ocean's Eleven. That is... That's a really cool lineup. That is a really good lineup yeah it's a shame like the oscars like it's just they played it so safe this year like it's just i mean sexy beast i suppose isn't the most safe 
Sexy Beast is a cool, weird pick that is kind of their one, well, one of their cool, weird picks in the bedroom doing as well as it does is we can't take that for granted. Yeah, but I definitely not. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of irises and beautiful minds and yeah. Uh, I do have two things about the supporting categories this year, and one of them, Gwyneth Paltrow. I think this is the only other year that she has been close to kind of coming back. She should have been. She is maybe my winner for supporting yeah. actress this year. I I don't. I I wouldn't have voted for her for Shakespeare in Love personally. I don't yeah. think she's all that good in that. Uh, she does the English accent very well. Again, common theme throughout this that we've spoken about. Um, I don't. I, she wouldn't be my winner for that. But if she had been here for um, World Ten of Bombs, then that would change a lot for me. Yeah, I'm just looking now because I recently did go through and uh, write up what my performance lineups would be going back to like 2000. Um, yeah. So I would maybe I I don't know who I would t- take out of Best Actress to put Renee in because this is a but my lineup as it stands now. Uh, Thora Birch in Ghost World, Maggie Chung in In the Mood for Love, which had its US release in 2001, Nicole Kidman in The Others, Sissy Spacek in In the Bedroom, and Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive. That's that's tough. Uh, I personally, because, because I know Naomi Watts comes back two years later, I would take Naomi Watts out for Renee Zellweger. I don't know if I can. I wouldn't feel too bad about it. Yeah. But in my ideal world, Mulholland Drive also is like the best picture winner and does. That's fair. So, you know, in the in the narrative I've created for myself, yeah, it's quite then, nice there. And then also my best supporting actress lineup. Uh, yeah, I do think looking at this lineup, I do stand by Paltrow being my winner here. But then I also have Ileana Douglas in Ghost World, who is so mm-hmm. fun. Dakota Fanning and I am Sam, uh, because she's watchable in that unwatchable movie uh <laughs> laura herring in mahal drive and then my one oscar stay is marissa tomei and in the bedroom okay but yeah there could have been some really interesting lineups this year and so few of them are but i'm glad that best actress is watchable and has some really uh, good gems and the lows are not nearly as low as say sean penn and i am sam yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, that's just, what was that decision? If you want to hear more on it, listen to my episode on I Am Sam from like a month ago. I shall. I'll always be closing. Uh, is my there anything only... else? Oh, no, sorry. One thing. was Jim, Did Jim Broadbent win for the right thing? No. No, it, it was Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. It was absolutely, I, I mean, I would have voted for him in Bridget Jones over Iris. And he's not bad in Iris, but who remembers I you watched it yesterday. Do you remember anything specific he does in Iris? The only thing I remember him doing is like pushing Judy Dench awake and me thinking, well, that's not very nice. <laughs> like that was my one reaction to his entire performance. Was yeah. like, don't do that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just Jim Broadbent has been a British character actor for a few years and a lot of things we liked. He's you know back even to like the crying game he's the bartender but then like he's in little voice and he's plausibly in shakespeare in love even though i don't think he actually is uh he's great in topsy-turvy a couple years prior uh and then now it's like oh well he's having a really good year and so we can allow ourselves to recognize 
a character actor from across the pond and whoops it's for a movie nobody remembers yeah. when you have moulin rouge right there or even bridget jones's diary or even bridget two minutes yeah what does he have other movies in this year actually he, he those, are loves three. those are three okay yeah that's fair yeah. and then i find it amazing that he doesn't then come back yeah, although what yeah. else would he be nominated for post that, really? Um, probably yeah. not a lot. Oh, shit. I just saw Vera Drake and questioned, but he plays the judge in Vera Drake. Right. So. I forgot that he was in that. Um, and it's not like he was going to be nominated for being in Harry Potter. Yeah, or... Uh, is he in Paddington, or am I just imagining oh, him? He's in Brooklyn. That could have oh, been another. right. Yes, yeah. he is good in that. He's good in that. So when you Google Jim Broadbent, the very first picture that pops up, he has this like little curly cue mustache and, and goatee that's very, very cute. <laughs> good, good for you, Jim Broadbent. Looking, yeah. looking like a wh- whimsical Broadbent. little man. He's in The Iron Lady. I could have seen a world where he gets nominated for, I think, playing her husband. Yeah, he does. Okay, that would have been quite good, actually. I don't like the Iron Lady, but I could see it. Oh, he's good in Cloud Atlas. He's wild in Cloud Atlas, but he's good. Never also, actually, you know what? Because we mentioned it earlier, uh, he would have been a really fun nominee for Hot Fuzz. Yeah. He's yeah. He's so good in Hot Fuzz. How many times have, in any context, you used a great big bushy beard? A lot. Just, just from his delivery. As, lot, as well as, um, no look, catching them swans then. Yeah. God, Hot Fuzz rules. I should watch Hot Fuzz again. But he's so fun in that. Like, that that would have been a wild pick for the Academy, but it would have been inspired. Yeah. How that didn't get a screenplay nomination, I'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Baby Driver being the one crossover for Edgar Wright with the Oscars yeah. is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. It's, I mean, better than it could have been, for, say, if it was last night in Soho. Yeah. Or, hot take, Scott Pilgrim, a movie I also don't really like. I don't, I don't like Scott Pilgrim either. Yeah. It's just too much. It's yeah. just, it's too much of, like, of the of right doing the right stuff, ironically, because yeah. it's, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that he, I'm glad people like it. I'm happy yeah. for it. Yeah, good for you if that works for you. Uh, but give me the Cornetto trilogy, and that's really all I need. Exactly. Likewise. Is there anything else we want to say about Bridget Jones's diary at the Oscars, or do we want to move on to our closing thoughts here? Um, Bridget Jones for Best Picture. Yeah, that that goes in. Okay, so for our closing thoughts, in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the nominations. What nominations would you have given to Bridget Jones's Diary? Actress, obviously. Supporting actor. For, for which one? I'm going to go Colin Firth. Adapted screenplay. Um, I believe original song. I believe it has an original song in it. Right, that came up um, somewhere and I didn't write it down. But And... You know what? I'm going to go to supporting actor. I'm going to go Colin Firth and Hugh Grant. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I uh, Yeah, I would keep... Renee, I need to figure out it, who in that lineup I just mentioned is getting the cut. But like, if not, she's a strong sixth place uh, in a very competitive year. 
Adapted screenplay, absolutely. This is a great screenplay. Supporting actor, I'd probably put Grant over Firth, but you could talk me into either one of them. Uh, yeah. Costume design for the bunny suit, probably not. But uh, it, it would be fun. Yeah, and you know, I could see this if this is a year of ten best picture nominees. I could see this making the cut as like ninth or tenth because it made so much money and was such a cultural thing. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it makes my necessarily my personal top 10 of the year but i also don't strongly feel that it doesn't so i could be convinced i think it probably makes my top 10 of the year overall um but i just given that it's a a five nominee year it doesn't get in for me yeah yeah and uh that's our episode on bridget jones's diary thank you so much for coming out i had a great time talking about this this movie with you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Anytime I get to talk about Bridget Jones's diary is a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, do you have uh, anything you want to plug anywhere people can find you and your stuff? Um, nothing specifically to plug. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to bloody call it um, at Pitches Hill. Um, I'm, I don't ever really tweet anything, but I'm there. Right on. Yeah, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at the Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.